writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the Right Pack. And welcome to Right Pack Radio. My name is David Allen Lucas, your host for Right Pack Radio. I am an author of science fiction, mystery, horror, and poetry, and often blending them all together. And with me today is... Hi, I'm Kathleen Kayembe. I write under the pen name Kaseka and Vita and enjoy long walks on the beach and paranormal investigation stories. Fedora Amos. I write Victorian whodunit. You might find Jack the Ripper in St. Louis at your local independent bookstore. We love local independent bookstores. <laughs> and also I'm president of Greater St. Louis Sisters in Crime. Hi, I'm Melanie Colaney. I write um, science fiction, fantasy, and nonfiction. I'm Jennifer Stolzer. I write fantasy and I illustrate for myself and others. And today we're going to talk about how we begin new projects or how we get our ideas, what do we do with them, and where do we start digging. We made a joke not that long ago in one of our previous episodes of, and actually Kathleen, you're the one who said this, what, coming up with new ideas is not the hard part of, a ga- part, part of writing? And of course you were being sarcastic as much as I hope I made that sound, because really it's not that hard to come up with ideas, at least not in my opinion. So let's talk about where do we all get ideas from, where do they come, and then what do we do with them, and then we'll go from there. So anyone, where do you get ideas? I would like to jump in and say everywhere. It depends on the person and the idea. And uh, yeah, it's hard to be more specific unless I'm talking a specific project. Well, then talk a specific project. Yeah, because, I mean, this is, unless there are big, I guess we could define big categories. You could get them from your life, as in drawing from your life, drawing from your interests, I guess, would be another category, because that doesn't have to be your life. I've never been to space. Most people that write about space have never been to outer space. Mm -hmm. Um, Then, um, I suppose, there must be a third one, and the, I, or a, more uh, write about oh we yeah. went over this in I think the the first or second um, mm-hmm. with the muse muse first episode, first episode. Yeah. Um, mice quotient from Orson Scott card milieu or world <coughs> I is idea so um, what if this um, C yeah. character someone awesome and E event what if everything blew up Mm-hmm. And there was one guy left. I don't know. And that's always the, in my opinion, the most important question of anything. The what if. What if. What if. Um, I do not buy into the idea of write what you know. Because if I write what I know, in the sense of where people begin that idea of, okay, write about your life. Yeah, I think I would just put half of this entire population of St. Louis to sleep as soon as I start talking about what job I've done 
outside of my writing world. No one's going to be interested. I think write what you know is often interpreted as very literal. Um, whereas writers of sci-fi, fantasy, it's yeah. completely impossible to write only what you personally have experienced. You have to be able to take what you know and extrapolate from it. Also write what you're interested in. Thank you. Yes. That's the most important. And either one. I would say, David, that you write what you know constantly. Now, you might be writing from the point of view of a woman who is in an adventure in a town you don't live in, but all of the projects that you've started since I've known you have involved martial arts, which you know very well. <laughs> true. True crime, which you're very interested in or well-read in. And um, some sort of a political espionage kind of a government thing, which is what you work in. So you write what <laughs> no, you know a, a lot. It's not exactly what you live, He's but it is what you know. Yeah, for, for the audience, obviously, since this is audio, not video, I've got, I know what face I've got on me. It's like, it's dang, red. she knows me well. <laughs> His face is turning red. Yeah, it's always entertaining. Yes. Well, I'd like to say that I think there are all kinds of knowledge. There is factual knowledge, of course, and I think that's what most people lead to when people say, write what you know. But I think there are all other kinds of knowledge. There is intellectual knowledge. There is emotional knowledge. And those are the things that we tap into. That's what write what you know is about, I think. I, I think that's important. Write what's true to you. For instance, um, right now, my, the character I'm working on in my current project is a minority that I'm not. So I don't know that specifically. On the other hand... Because I grew up in, well, what I consider a Caucasian family, most people would consider my family Caucasian, I put her in a Caucasian family because I don't know all, culturally, she's white. I'm not familiar enough with the other culture to write about in detail. And um, drawing from people you know helps as well. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the supporting characters in my current project is based very heavily on my friend Kathleen over here. Uh, I'm, I'm taking what I've observed from hanging out for how many, however many years have we been friends? Over a decade. Over a decade? Yeah. Uh, I don't know all the ins and outs of your life, and I don't know the feelings and, and thoughts in your head, but I know how you react to things. And you react from a point of view that I don't have. And so I'm writing what I know by observing what's around me. Now, that leads to something I think we should talk about a whole lot another time. Maybe we should talk about characterization and all that. Mm -hmm. That's not what we're talking about this time. So bringing it back to starting projects. So we, okay, this is where we generally get our ideas from. But now with our whole life, as Dave said, when he first thought about his project, he thinks of his life as boring. So how do you go from everything in your life or everything you know and pick something to write a story about? Well, I think you have to know yourself to some degree. As for me, and I can only speak for me, I need three things if I'm going to start a new novel, a new mystery. I have to be able to visualize the black moment, 
the moment when it seems as though no good could possibly come out of this situation and the heroine is going to die and everything is going to be disaster. But of course that has to be rescued because in a mystery you have to have justice and you have to have maybe not a happy ending exactly, but an effective ending that answers everybody's questions and brings justice. So you need a black moment. What else do you need? The other two factors. The other two factors. I need to know how the story starts. And my quest in the meantime, and the part that I find most entertaining, once I get the opening sequence in mind, is to find out a way to get, using zigzags and all kinds of off-course things, to the black moment. Then I need to know one more thing. I need to know exactly when it happened. Because I do historicals, Victorian whodunits. And my next step, after figuring out when it happens, is to go read newspapers from 1898 St. Louis or 1898 Peoria. And I love that part. And that's very telling, I suppose. You write historicals because you love the research. You love researching specific places in time. I do not enjoy research. I thanked my Lord Jesus when I graduated from school that I'd never have to write another research paper again. Uh, my research is more along the lines of, uh, of other media. I write in fantasy, so reading other fantasy books and seeing what's been done already and what questions do I ask when I'm reading that haven't been answered in whatever I have in front of me. And that's where my ideas tend to come from. That's, this is Melanie. I was uh, thinking about another idea. Of, this is closer to how I start a lot of the stories. It's continuing a question. I have characters or whatever. <laughs> And uh, what what would happen? Where does the story go from here? Mm-hmm. Like Fedora, this is David. I, like Fedora, I have three things. But I don't have the dark moment. And that what I do is I need to know the world I'm writing in. I need to have an idea who my main character is. And that when I say the main character, let me back myself up. I don't always mean the and protagonist of a story. And maybe the um, antagonist of that story. But I've always got one of those two in my head. And then I've got the philosophical question. Now, Mike, and that can come sometimes from various articles I've written or something I've seen in another, another media. Current project, I don't want to talk... I'm one of those type of people that if I talk about my project too much, it never gets done. Mm-hmm. The current project is a sci-fi mystery... Part of it was inspired by Star Wars, the prequels. Yes. <laughs> but, but what it was is, take the Clone Wars. Now, if you've watched the cartoon series, the clones themselves actually take on a persona, a personality. Each each time you see a different clone, they have a different personality, even though they all look alike. Okay, great. In Star Wars, at the end of Episode Three. We know that the Emperor has taken over the galaxy, and or well, controls the galaxy, and these clones are forever trapped to become bad shooting stormtroopers. But let's stop back for a second. Pretend for a second that the Emperor doesn't take over. He wins the war, but he doesn't take over. The question that hit me was, who, who do these troopers belong to? 
Are they human? I mean, they are, they are clones of humans, but are they property? If they're property, who they belong to? Is that not slavery, which supposedly the Republic doesn't belong to? And they'll, the whole entire question of, okay, if we could create other people, are they slaves? Are they indentured servants? And it's from that I get the beginning of the philosophical questions for this current story I'm working on. That sounds a lot like uh, our world-building um, discussions. I love starting with the what-if. And um, this is just completely random. Hmm. Uh, on a trip um, in the car the other day, I was talking with a friend of mine, and we randomly built up this world where you get moods doled out to you on cards, and we were trying to figure out who would be the people that make them, would the rich get more of them necessarily? Yes. What would you do if you did not have a mood card for the mood you currently had? Like, all kinds of crazy stuff. So, I love what-if questions, but that was not something that would then become a story for me, because that was just fun, and it wasn't, there wasn't enough to make a story out of that. What would it take to turn that into a story for you? I would have needed a protagonist, mm. and I would have needed more than um, the joking around that we were doing, because it was it's really fun brainstorming, world building that way, mm -hmm. but I would have needed more solid choices. Yeah, you know, I think when I start a project, I start with the world, and then go out from there, but you're right, you need more than just the world. So along those lines... I'm glad that Jennifer asked that question because that's what's going to go next is, okay, we've gotten our idea. The idea part, this before, when we first started, is not the hard part, I think, in my opinion, to come up with an idea. Where do you go from there? What do you do to flesh out the idea, to find out, do you really even have a story? And, and I kind of joke, I won't talk about how my process, yeah, I'm going to let everyone else talk first. Yeah. But I call it tossing it into the hopper or the percolator in the back of my brain and let it start working. So what do you what do you do? How do you go from the idea to your next stage? And what um, separates an idea for for everyone from an idea that is usable to write a story or a novel, depending on length? Well, uh, I start with the kernel of an idea, and then I pop that kernel. Uh, into a piece of popcorn through drawings because I am an illustrator. So my concepts, my scenes, and my characters aren't real to me until I have them on a sheet of paper. Often it's because while I'm drawing them, I'm thinking about who they are, what expression should they have on their face in the scene that I'm thinking I've put them in. Uh, is this character one that would stand up to danger or one that would shrink away from danger? Should I draw them doing either and see which feels more natural? That's the way that my brain works. I'm a very visual person. So that's my first step when I come up with a story is to, to draw out my cast and to draw out my major keyframe scenes. Um, my idea, and I'm realizing this, first off, my ideas, a lot of them get written down. And I'll tell you about a failed idea. Because, I mean, this is an idea that, at least so far, I haven't gotten... I don't think it's ready to get turned into a story, which is a shame because I like the world. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, so I have this world that... Um, what if... It, 
what if there was another planet, habitable planet, with both intelligent life and um, intelligent ali aliens on this other world and human beings living on this world, and it was in all our solar system, and because of some physics hand-waving, we just recently, within the last, you know, 20, 30 years, became aware of this other, er, other very, like, Earth 2 existing on the other side of the sun from us. What would that do to society? And I think that just answers, a, a quite, raises a lot of interesting questions. What would the effects be on society? Would people be wanting to integrate there? What if the humans living there, because of this, the aliens came to Earth, you know, tens of thousands of years ago and took some humans back with them? So what if those humans want to come home? But I just haven't quite, you know, that's not quite enough for a story yet. I love world building that starts that way, where you take where we are now, or, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit in the past, or for Fedora, way in the past. <laughs> <laughs> that's not so far in the past. Yeah, I just talked about, like, 10,000 oh, years in the past, you know? She's way in the past. <laughs> so if you take some, like, if you take a time period, and you add, you insert the what if, you insert this, this wrench in the system and you see what happens from there. I love that kind of world building. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that writers are automatically observers of everything that goes on around us. And so we get ideas from real life. We certainly get ideas from reading. I read a lot of newspapers, as I've already mm -hmm. told you. And sometimes I will end up writing a modern piece because I even do that sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it would probably come from either talking to somebody or from an article I read in the paper. For example, I read a little article about two boys who engaged in a suicide pact, and one lived and one did not. The one who lived was tried then for assisting suicide of the one who died. And I thought, my word, what an interesting thing. And did he do it? Is he really guilty of that? Or perhaps a murder? Mm. And so I wrote a story based on that. So it was an idea which came to me and wouldn't let me go from the newspaper. Yeah, I do a lot. I read a lot. I get the ideas from a lot. Sometimes it's from BBC, CNN, the newspapers. Sometimes it's from science science. Um, websites or science magazines like Nature, Discover, um, Red Orbit, and so forth. And then that's when they start collaborating into the what-ifs. But then what I do, when I think I've got an idea, and I, keyword, think, I have an idea, to start taking further, then I begin what might be described to some people as a multi-personality um, psychoanalysis of my psychoanalysis. But what I do is something I've learned from reading a book by David Morrill, Morrell, if I remember how to pronounce his name correctly. Hmm. He came up with, um, he's written over 20 novels. One novel, which I can say right off the bat, everyone will recognize because it was made into a movie that became an international success. First, First Blood, which is Rambo. Ah. But what this is, what he does is he sits down with his typewriter or, or his computer, and I do it with my computer, and he has a conversation with himself on the computer. He assigns a alternate personality on the computer to be the question asker. In my case, 
since my name is David or Dave, and I do science fiction, I had to go 2001 mm-hmm. and call my computer Hal. So Hal is my question driver. And it starts off as a regular conversation of, hello Hal, how, blah, 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 and it goes back and forth. But what we start to do in my mind is, as I'm writing, I begin the world building. I begin the character building. I begin looking at the plots and how the characters will interact with each other. And then I begin plotting that out through question and answer back and forth. And out of that, now I've got something I can write. If I can get that far, I know I've got a story. I can't let you write that, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Please please don't do that, Dave. It's not contemporary enough. No one will publish it. Now, for anybody who's missing the joke here, read or watch 2001 A Space Odyssey by Mm -hmm. Arthur C. Clarke, and you'll understand the joke. Go ahead. I had a question about shorter works versus novels, because for me, the process is different. And I wanted to know if that's the same for you guys with how you start. I am actually going to exclude myself from that part of the conversation because unfortunately my mind thinks that no less than a novella. <laughs> it really... I try to write short fiction. I fail at writing short fiction because I like to be complex. Yep. For short stories, I almost need to work backwards. So an idea is great, but then I need to know where I'm going and then everything in the story has to be about getting there. <laughs> Once upon a time, I edited a little magazine for public speaking debate students. And so I had to do a lot of short pieces myself. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I found most useful in that, in doing nonfiction pieces that are short, mm-hmm. it's to talk to people, to interview them. And here's one little experience that I had. I wanted to write a piece about different kinds of communication from urban students and suburb students, which is kind of dangerous territory to get into just to begin with. But at a speech tournament, I got myself together and went up to talk to a bunch of inner-city students. There were about 20 of them. And asked them to tell me about slang in inner-city schools. Mm-hmm. And they warmed up to me, white old woman that I am, and just told me lots of wonderful things, a lot of wonderful things that I couldn't use in the article. (laughs) But they told me. I think they were absolutely frank, and it's just great. If you ask people, they'll tell you. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, I tend to um, enjoy starting little pieces, seeing where they go. Uh, Starting a novel is usually not something I consciously do because so much commitment it's going to be forever and ever and ever I'm going to be with these characters for for, for how long? You're a pantser, right? <laughs> I am halfway between plotting and pantsing which brought me to my next question, how do you think plotting versus pantsing relate to how you start projects? Well, before you go there I'm going to leave a question alone I've quoted this before, probably in our first recording but when you talk about novel, no, so you're different than I am. You like the short, I like the long. But Ben Bova, who is a science fiction author, has always said, or compared writing a novel to laying siege to a town. It is a long process. Mm-hmm. And I can understand how you feel. 
Well, uh, I think plotting and pantsing have a lot to do with short versus long, for me anyway. Uh, when I write a short piece, I'm usually writing what I consider to be one scene in a big, in a larger story. Mm-hmm. I usually write either the reveal scene or uh, the intro or perhaps the ending of something that could be much larger that is either just a kernel in my brain or is not something that I would be interested in pursuing for a year. But uh, I usually pants a short story to see where it goes, but I religiously plot a long story because that gives me a lot of joy. So A lot of of people I know start with scenes, especially romance writers, (laughs) and let me say that some of them love to start with those really hot sex scenes. Yeah. (laughs) And then they build a book around that. Sure, you got to get your dessert out first, Ooh, right? Yeah. <laughs> Life's short. Eat, eat the cake first. Um, I have words on this topic. <laughs> okay, I'm good. I'll let you have your words. No, here. no, I'm leaving it alone for this ah. discussion. Okay. Please continue. Yeah. Anyway, what I was going to say is everyone here has heard me say I've gone from pantser to plotter. And so that's been one heck of an interesting trail. The So I plot it out, and I try to plot it out from points of view of not just for character, but I look at it from the physical suspense in the scenes and the psychological suspense from the scene, which I throw a lot of um, Jung and Freud into that because that's where I'm, cause I'm building the suspense out of the characters themselves. That's um, Carl Jung and uh, Sigmund, Sigmund Freud. Freud. <laughs> yes. Um, real quick, back to, and then I'll give this back over to, to Melanie here. Probably one of the reasons I absolutely hate writing short stories, even though I've attempted it and try, and I've actually had a. That's probably the only place I've had publishing success right now, hmm. at which I find to be very ironic. Um, the fact is why I really hate it. A yes, it's very tight. I don't like having just a single plot, but I think it came from a lot from schools, from high school and in college, where it's a rush, 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 rush. Get your story done. Perfect example, in freshman year of high school, the teacher comes out on Monday and says, okay, by Friday you're going to have a short story. I Completely done. Edited everything. This is Monday afternoon. No idea yet. And I'm coming out with a short story. That's pretty darn quick, and it's going to be pretty ugly. And it was ugly when I was done. Sorry. Yeah, I was... Um, oh, I tried to be... Uh, Cancer, and I utterly failed, and the reason I failed had to do with, I. this is actually starting projects, bringing it back to our topic, mm-hmm. um, I have my world, I have my characters in it, at least some of them, because this was supposed to be a pantsing thing, and they're like, okay, here's my main character, just put, put a bug in her head, and have her go through life, and guess what, it was boring, because <laughs> most people's, most, even if you have a really exciting life, most of your life is boring, and it was taking forever to get to the exciting parts, not that they weren't there, but the pacing was awful, I needed to do some plotting just to keep the pace right, <laughs> well, everyone has their comfort zone, yeah, you know, they consider that people in the military, at least those who have combat, have exciting lives, that's what we like to write about, and that me personally, but story. There's novels about war and all that, and they and cops having exciting lives and so forth. Go up and talk to them, just like what um, Fedora was saying when she was talking to kids. The re, the people like to talk about their lives. They like to talk about what they really know. 
And in the case of the military, in the case of the cops, firemen included, if you really talk to them, 98% of their time is spent in boring training or boring events for that 2% of, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to die situations. Do you mean to tell me that all the shootouts <laughs> that came from stakeouts in everything ever are probably not nearly as as common as they seem in stories? Like, I don't know if I can handle knowing that, you know, police officers are just chilling in the car, waiting. It's after are you dark. saying that a stakeout takes all day? That you gotta actually wait for the guy to come home? I thought it was, like, magically timed the way movies are. Like, you get there, and you're just in time to see him do the bad thing. Sometimes he doesn't come home, and you're stuck there for two days or three, or maybe he got wind of you and skipped town, and you're sitting there for a week, and no one ever shows up? No, 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 no. What happens is, if the person gets away, finds out you were there first, you get a call pretty quickly, and uh, then you dash off to... I'm sorry, David. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm grabbing these two and trying to pull them right back into the old conversation. We went down a sarcasm trail. Yes, yes very did. sarcastic. And I'm hoping that any of the cops, especially my friends who are listening, are laughing at the sarcasm. Or uh, at us. Or at us. That will work, too. Yes. So, okay, so... We got plotters here. We have pantsers here. We have those we have who are hybrids. We have hybrids. So, what do you do next? What's your next thing? From idea to writing, from, you mean? From idea, from, to, from idea to writing. So now you've got your plot, or you've got your ideas. If you're a pantser, you just raise it down, and oh, we'll say you've got one of those um, write or die programs that if you stop writing it starts kamikazeing you which means it goes back and starts deleting if you've been sitting there for too long you mean the jennifer gets indigestion program <laughs> yeah. yeah there are other settings for write or die the, okay. the program or online site though like some of them will just like freeze out your social media actually there are like some that, yeah. apps that i have specifically to freeze out the internet and social media because i'm highly distractible as you can see from this tangent um <laughs> yes if you if you use a mac uh mac freedom and anti-social best things ever and write or die as a website dot com Write or die dot com dot net dot org. Which Something is it? I don't remember. Uh, dot search engine. Dot Google it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Google it. So okay. So you've got this idea. This this. Well, I'm gonna call, I'm gonna compare this to putting together a jigsaw puzzle. That's my opinion of what every story I ever start up is. I may have plotted it out, which means I've gotten. You go out to a puzzle store. You go out to a store. You buy a jigsaw puzzle. You've cut open the box, you pour out your pieces, and my plot is a picture of it on the front of the box, so this is what the puzzle's supposed to look like. And now you're digging through the pieces to build your story. What do you do? Edges first. Yes. Very smart. <laughs> though, though I have two puzzles that would ruin your day. 
with that one was a Star Wars puzzle, which is all set in black space, and the other one puzzle was one that you can make 20 puzzles from the same pieces. Well, the edges first applies also to writing, because uh-huh. you, you put the edges of Jigsaw Puzzle together, that way okay. you have shapes to work off of as you inch your way inward. So yeah. does that mean that you write the beginning and the ending and then work your way towards it the It means I'm a plotter, and I like <laughs> to have everything in a box before I start working on it. As a hybrid, for me, that means there is some sort of structure or frame Framework that I have in mind into which the story will fit, whether I've started it or not. So if I know that something has to happen in uh, the very beginning and I know I'm writing to a point in the middle and I think something might happen at the end that's along these lines, so I try to write towards that, just knowing that is kind of my edges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not doing this for my current project because this was my attempt to be a pantser, but for my previous projects... I have a timeline, so all the major events, not just plot points, but like major historical events. They might not even be in the story, but there's, you know, for instance, I get really annoyed when I read through books and people forget how many children they have and Uh what their relative ages are and, you know, like 10 years go by, but someone's 15 years older, you know, so I put them all in a timeline. I also have a list of characters and I put them in a family tree and What I'm thinking of now is a military sci-fi, so I have a command structure. And I have all their names and ranks and their relative departments. And if they're a throwaway character, they still go in there so I can go back and look later to see, yes, this was the guy that was assigned to this place. It sounds like you've got the fixed points. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to add something to that. Of course, a lot of people do write a Bible for every book. That's which my Bible. Yeah. includes that. Basically, they call it a Bible. But Wait, one more thing. Uh, we what's need a, what's to define the Bible. Yes. What's the Bible? Uh, what's in terms Bible? of writing. In terms of Bible. It is pretty much what Melanie just said, that you have lists of characters and their descriptions. You have timelines. You have uh, key plot points that you list and whenever you think of a new one of these things you put it in your bible and that will help you what it is get through what it is is a written canon these yes. are the things that do not change so we can use it as our bible on which to plot the rest now it's the that's same not thing. saying that you can't change your bible but when you change your bible you're changing your bible and once your first book is published you you shouldn't change your bible although people do <laughs> one thing i'm going to say um for those of you who are listening just for curiosity, I know the execs in Hollywood would be throwing darts at my picture if they had my picture when I say this. <laughs> but I am so thankful that there are story Bibles that you can find by Googling them that are out there. Now, they're not the entire seasons of books or seasons of TV shows, but a couple examples, Battlestar Galactica, the revision, the first season's Bible is, or at least was, Online, You can find some of the Star Trek. You can find Highlander and other ones. It gives you an idea of what this looks like. And every Bible is a little different. The Wire, which was a great TV show for um, crime drama, has a Bible. Go and look at it. A series Bible is specifically important if you're working with a team, which is kind of... It, that's where like the, mm-hmm. the online Bibles you're talking about, the, the series... Definitive series catalogs. Those are for other people to grab and then be able to write in that universe. Even if there's just one author, it's still important because I don't remember who that character that I assigned to engineering, what his name was. You know, those redshirt ensigns, they have names, you know. 
Red shirt incense? What? The red shirts, you know, Star Trek reference. Thank you. This is not a new thing at all. William Faulkner, who was a wonderful screenwriter as well as novel writer, As I Like Dying, and all of the Yoknopatawpha County stuff. Well, if you go to uh, Oxford, Mississippi, to where he was at Ole Miss, his house is there on campus, and you can tour it. And you can go to his study, which is on the second floor, and all around the room, all on the walls, he has the timeline of all of his stories, and it's a wonderful thing to say. I was going to point out that that's especially helpful if you're writing a series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great to read a series up until the point where character X from book one is now, I don't know, three years younger or has a different occupation? That yeah. happened on Star Trek, the fir- next generation, the first season. Jordy went from being a pilot to being chief engineer. And Neat that's trick. why that's why <laughs> they have the Bibles now. Right. <laughs> One thing that I do, we talked about your framework. For the main plots, that's why I write it. Now, it often is science fiction, but it's also crime, crime stories or how done-its or how catch-ems. What I do is I actually go through the actual investigation. In other words, I may know how this, up to where I start to plot. I may know who did it. I think that might be why I can't write who done it. I know who did it. But now it's, okay, what is my character going to do to solve this case? And I literally grab my forensics and my criminal investigation books, and I start being the detective going through and figuring out how I'm going to catch this person. So I actually went, my first drafts are always, literally, I've done the investigation, even though the investigation isn't on the streets like the real cops have to do and face the bad guys. It's up in my head. So I get to live longer than a lot of them do. (laughs) It sounds like you're writing what you know. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And what you like. Write so, the book of your heart. Right. Yeah. So one thing I've noticed that no one here has said is that you don't look at trends of what's in the current market, and you're not out trying to find an agent or a publisher right off the bat. So in other words, you're not going to say, oh, I'm going to write this so that Penguin Random House will be the one who publishes it, or I'm going to write the next Harry Potter. Uh that applies great to fiction, nonfiction, a little bit different. <laughs> okay. But, well, I guess it's good that I don't necessarily want to write the great American novel. I just want to write... I want... Something that I've heard is to write the books you want to read that don't exist yet. Right. And, um... <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, Julia Cameron has an exercise that she uh, lists in The Vein of Gold and The Right to Write, two books of hers that basically helps you tease that out. It asks you to think of um, five, like the first five movies that that come to your head or like things like that. And then to figure out what they have in common. And it's surprising the things that I write about are directly linked to those things that are common in everything I love to read or watch um, from from now, starting when I was a kid. Just real quick. Example of what you just said, Kathleen, applied. There's a Missouri writer, 
love his work, named Jim Butcher. His entire Dresden Files started off, per what I heard him say at a conference, as a bet from one of his professors. He actually, bless, I, I wish I had his life in this aspect, he actually had a commercial author as a professor in college for wow. creative writing. Yeah, normally when you go to a creative writing class, you're getting an academic author, and there's a whole different approach. And so the way the story goes is the commercial author told Jim, when Jim told her, I think it was a her, said he didn't believe what she was telling him to that would work, she said to him, go out, take, think five, a couple of things that you absolutely enjoy and make a story out of it. So the Dresden Files came out of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and a few other things I can't remember what he identified as being the thing, and they combined. And he did, thinking it would be successful. I'm not going to tell you how many, time, how many Dresden novels are now published, because I, I lost count. And novellas and short stories. Mm-hmm. Are you serious? He's from Missouri? Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. Um, what you said, I was just thinking of one of the ideas for a novel that I have a first draft done, but I have set it aside for a couple of years now, but I will finish it one day. But it was inspired by, I read a novel, and then I wrote the novel that I wished the novel I read was. <laughs> because I, I'm not going to say the author, but the author had a fascinating premise. And I didn't like what she did with it. Mm-hmm. So I took the same premise and went a completely different way. <laughs> I do that when I leave pretty much 80% of Hollywood movies. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually brings me to another thing I do sometimes. Um, some of my projects start in early stages that are only taking place in my head most of the time as fanfic. Mm-hmm. And I start changing things. And when you can no longer recognize anything from the original fanfic, it's yours. True. Let me go back to something I forgot to say. Um, Kathleen pointed out a little while ago when we were talking about chasing... Maybe Kathleen didn't. Sorry. <laughs> we, we were ch- talking about chasing trends. And I forget exactly what was said, but I had something I wanted to say, which was, you can't chase them. Don't attempt to... That's right. You said you didn't want to write the next American novel. That's what made me think of it. Um... You can't chase trends. If you're trying to chase a trend with your story that you're creating, you're going to fail. Trends are very changeable. Let's talk about quickly where I'm going with this. You, If you're being traditionally published, if that's your goal, you're going to take about, we'll call it a year to write your first story, first novel. Then it's going to go through the process, and it's going to take about another year, if you got lucky, but you got an agent right away who turned around and got it sold to a publisher right away. And then it's going to go through all the process. You're talking about at least another year before it comes out. Not that long ago, as an example, mermaids were a trend, an up-and-coming trend in paranormal. By the time that was had run the circuit of writers' conferences, it had already changed. They didn't want to see any more mermaids. And that was as the first mermaid books were coming out and hitting the shelves, that trend was already dying. 
I'm trying to think of mermaid books. It was a blip. Yeah, I was I was very uh-huh. confused. Like I didn't know about this. What? Yes. Um, I have a question for everyone that is near and dear to my poor shriveled black heart. How do you get started on a project when you've been in a rut, when you haven't been writing lately, and when you want to get going and you can't yet? Are you talking about a new project? A new project, an old project. How do you get back on the horse? Yeah. I have good. I have a suggestion that may not work, but um, choose something. At least trick yourself into thinking. Start with something that doesn't matter. So, for instance, the novel I'm writing now. Once I get done with it, maybe I'll change my mind. But right now, I'm writing my drawer novel, meaning a drawer yeah, novel. That? is something that you write, then you put away in a drawer because you decide you're never going to sell it for whatever reason. So once this novel is done, then I'll evaluate it again and maybe change my mind. But right now, I'm writing it for me, and I'm not worried about doing anything else with it, and my goal is to get it done to get it done, and it's really a it's a very long writing exercise, you know. But. Sometimes, to use your term, drawer novels... They're like wine. Wine is best aged, usually. There's exa- there's, a, there's separates. Sometimes when you get down into the rut, you, you put away a book. You will say halfway through. And you put it in the drawer, and a couple years later you come back to it, and you pull out, it's like, oh, I remember this trashy thing. It sucks. You start to read it. And either it really did suck, and thank <laughs> God you put it away. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the, wine, it was milk. It was milk. <laughs> Yeah, but there was no I- wine. It was vinegar. But there was an idea in there. It's like, wait a minute. What if I took this idea and applied it differently? Did a twist? Then out comes a different book. Sometimes though, you come back to it and you look at it it's like it really wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And then you can take over from where you were. This is why being a plotter helps. You've got all your notes, and you can go through and finish it up. One of the things I've run into, I've talked about in my writing career over the last couple of years, I've had one heck of a roller coaster ride because outside life has taken over a lot more than I would like it to. I'm not going to go into details. But sometimes getting back on that horse is downright frightening. And either I've looked back at what I've written and said, I've got a great vampire story. I really do. I have this great vampire soap opery type novel that I could write. I can't. Right now, everybody expects vampires to be sparkly and twilighty. They are not. I know. But, I'm, but I keep it inside. I know it's there. And I'm waiting for that trend to die. <laughs> but Die again. Meanwhile, I will look at some of those characters. And I look at Jen, you commented earlier. As long as you've known me, there's been certain elements that have always appeared in my stories mm-hmm. that, I write, that I write. And a lot of times I'm looking back at old stories, and I'll take that elements and say, what was I doing with that? Redo it, re-come up with something else, and cautiously climb up on top of that horse again and try to ride it. You mentioned takeover from where you were in resuming projects. 
that's something I'm trying to do right now. And um, Jennifer has been helpful in that, like, I will read everything I ever wrote to do with the story, as well as the story itself, and maybe take notes, and then read it all again, because I have to restart the entire thing. And Jennifer, you had said that I should just read all about the characters, the, the stuff that I that I wanted to keep, the, the fixed points, um, and then start from there. Don't reread the story. We know what I will do. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's very individualized. Depends on your writing style. That might work for you. Uh, I like editing better than I like writing, so I'd rather start with something, even if it's bad, and start working on it. So, but picking up a project again? How? But that's guys... what I mean. I'd be picking up my old project and I'd be rewriting the first half before going on. Well, having knowledge of your project, Kathleen. Um... I know how much that you are intending to change in it. Mm. If you are going to change little bits, like I have a finished novel right now that needs little bits changed. I don't need to rewrite the whole thing. I need to change tiny little bits before I think that it's ready uh, to actually try and do the circuit uh, and get it solid. get it an agent for me, perhaps. I don't know. Um, but you are approaching this project as a new project with old ideas in it. And that's why I told you, in, on the occasion we were talking about this, uh, to just dump the old one. Because the old one's going to fill your head with all the old words and phrases that you have improved past. Because this is a long-ago novel. And you've been writing ever since then. And everything we write makes us a better writer. So leave the old stuff in, in the drawer. Just keep track of the things that you remember you liked and the things you remembered you loved, and then put those in the new one in the way that the new Kathleen writer can do it, because she'll do it really well. And what Jen just says, while she's saying that to Kathleen, I'm going to say from what Jen said to everybody, there's a reason why, as writers, we write every day. And if we're not physically writing every day, we're thinking about the story we're writing. It's because... This is there, There's no formula to anything we write. Not really. There's no formula to success. This is an art. And the only way you can improve in your art is by practice. And if you go to one of your drawer novels that you put away, and you've come back to it even, at, even six months later, I can guarantee you, if you've been practicing, you are a much better writer than you were six months ago. Louis L'Amour says, Write. The water doesn't flow if you don't turn the tap on. <laughs> I loved him. Setting up habits. <laughs> yes. Practice, practice. Well, and that's something, too. You have to have a habit of writing. Sorry. Um, Earl Stanley Garner said, you threw out one of my favorite authors. I'm going to throw out my other okay. one. Earl Stanley Garner said that the mind is like a horse. If you let it go, it's going to wander and you're not going to write. You've got to literally take it to the hitching post, tie it up, and make it be there. So that you can get your job done. Now that's paraphrasing. I uh, was remembering, I don't remember who told me this because it was someone I was talking to in person at a writing workshop. Basically there's a lot of writing exercises that you can do and you spend the first 20 minutes or so writing on these exercises which depending on what the exercise might be related to your 
project or not, and then you start writing your story. So for your writing exercise, you would say, take your main character, this is just an example, take your main character and have your main character in the Starbucks. What would your main character be doing in a Starbucks? You know, what would they order? Who would they talk to? You know. It sounds kind of like a warming up, which yeah. athletes do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm a bad athlete. I don't do that. But I don't do it most of the time either. I usually <laughs> return to a project like I return to a friend's house. Because I write, I, I love character. That's really what I write for, is for character and for ruining characters' lives. And then for giving them something I think they deserve, whether it's punishment or praise. <laughs> I, um, I really love relationships between people. Uh, I really love uh, platonic relationships or parental relationships, things like that. So when I sit down to a project, it's not, I can't wait to work on my project. It's, I can't wait to play with my friends. And sometimes that involves me, again, drawing a picture of my character that I'm getting ready to write a story about. But the point is that I'm re, uh, reintroducing myself to that person real quick, getting the small talk out of the way before we actually get down to business. It sounds like there's a certain amount of immersion needed to start a new project to pick a project back up. And um, I think we've been talking a bit about how we do that immersion. And for Jennifer, it's, you know, getting the small talk out of the way, going Mm -hmm. back to the house. Oh, sorry. (laughs) That's a great idea, the, like, uh, immersive in the project. I know other times Dave has said that he can't, you know, just pick up something. That's why he became a plotter, so he can pick it up again, get in the right mind frame to write. But, yeah. Heather Sellers has a book called Chapter After Chapter, and um, it's about writing a novel. It's supposed to kind of uh, get you through the the planning stage, the writing stage, and then the shopping around stage. And I really love that book. One of the things she talks about in it that I find happens to me is um, the sexy next book comes along right when you're in a bad patch in the one you're currently working on and trying to figure out whether the sexy next book is the one you're supposed to be doing or staying with the novel that you currently want to throttle because it's worth it. Um, She helps with figuring that out, but sorry. No, no. She also talks about... um, I don't remember what her terms were, but it's a kind of immersion, making sure that you stick the book into your life in like many different ways so that you're never entirely apart from it, even if you're not in the writing room. And that helps keep you involved, even if you don't get to write for a day. One of the things that you said there made me think about one of our previous episodes where Brad, who's not here today, talked about he has a shoebox full of story ideas. So when he comes up with a new story that seems like for your term, the sexy new story, from how I understand what he does is he'll write down the idea, toss it into the shoebox. The idea is there, the idea is written down, it's satisfied for now, so he can go back and finish up the novel he's currently working on. That's uh, kind of what Sellers recommends, um, but not committing to the sexy uh, the, the sexy next book okay. without having done that and then evaluated very consciously whether it's even able to be written at that point. 
Mm -hmm. yeah, I have a computer program that just has a file of, of not a computer program, a thing, a story ideas, word file, just with a bunch of basically titles and short paragraphs. There's a um, app that you can get that's both for computer and for phones. Sorry. <laughs> this one, I think I turned off the timer's voice thing. I can't let you turn that off, Dave. Uh, yes, back to that. There is something called Evernote, I believe is the name of it, and you can mm -hmm. it feeds both to my cell phone and to my laptop. It will keep my notes and keep my ideas down. It's accessible online, too. Yes, that's yes. Well, I'd like to give everybody a little quote from Jodi Picoult. She has a number of books. She writes mainstream fiction for women, and a number of them have been turned into movies, including My Sister's Keeper with Cameron mm. Diaz. Okay, this is what she says, if I can remember the quote now. Okay. You can always edit a bad page, right. but you can never edit a blank one. Yeah. Mm. This is very true. So, with that, is there any final comments that anybody has about where we start, where we get the ideas as far as what we do with them and how we get our project started? I think what Melanie had to say um, was really important. Um, when you spoke about your current novel being an exercise, it's written to be a drawer book, kind of. Like, it can not go in the drawer. But the point is to write it. That's the whole thing. And it doesn't matter where it goes from there. And I think that mindset frees people to write much more easily. Like, to write what they want and not what they think their audience wants. So I think that's important to remember. And to finish it. You get a lot of satisfaction from finishing it, no matter what you do with it after that. Mm -hmm. Nothing is wasted. Something that... It was Jen who had said earlier but she was glad she wasn't in college anymore or something like that. Yeah. She got tired of research projects. <laughs> As a writer, we always have homework. One of the things that, though, I did when I did my master's degree, and sadly that's not in anything recreative. Mm -hmm. My professor hated my thesis paper, which I had to write, which was about total quality in healthcare. <laughs> And, yeah, excuse me as I do my own he raspberry. He really hate it. Oh, yeah, he hated me for it because the <laughs> first two pages of that thesis was written like a novel. Then I went into straight into the boring stuff. He literally slammed the paper, graded, on my desk, walked past me and says, I hate you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I start off with, literally the opening line was, your firstborn child has fallen down his basement steps. You yell down. There's no response. Now, from there, I forget how exactly I phrase everything. Eventually, you go through the hospital. They shove papers in your face, and you're signing stuff, and then you're like, do you really care about the quality? Because in the hospital, you're in the emergency room. Do you do you care that moment? Mm -hmm. you, of course, you care later, but at that moment, do you care? So I turn over paper, fearing what I had gotten. I got an A, so I was happy, but uh -huh. um, sometimes it's the longer projects or doing something else. That will knock you out of a rut or prove to you that you can do it. One of the biggest things I talked about with me having come back and get back on the proverbial horse is this fear. When I can complete a long project, maybe it's not related to the story, but when I can complete it, I'm telling myself, I can do this. 
I can achieve it. So with that, I'm going to say my final thought is don't give up on yourself if you're a writer. Even if you've had to take a, uh, a break from your writing because of something else, if you are truly, truly a writer, there is, a, there is something inside of you that is pounding on the interior of your brain that says you need to tell a story. You need to get this out or you're going to drive yourself nuts. If that's there, it will always be there. Any other last thoughts? Might as well let it out by starting something. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Of course, this whole, my last thought is, um, <laughs> this whole episode is supposed to be about how do you get started. So I guess the way you get started is just to start to write. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. And tune in next time for the next Write Pack episode. Theme songs for Write Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her. Write Pack Radio would like to thank STL Books for allowing us to record in their office. STL Books is an online bookstore specializing in new and used high-quality literature, children's books, and books written by or about St. Louis. Please visit them online at www.stlbooks.com or find their store on the Amazon.com website.